All right. Good morning to you guys. Good to see you. Um, did you guys get some donuts? Flowing, they get the coffee flowing through the veins and ready to roll. Um, hey, let's get to it. Uh, let's turn to Micah. Yeah, good luck. It's where the pages of your Bible can all stick together there. <laughs> I've noticed people kind of sometimes avoid these uh, major and minor prophets sometimes, but there's some great stuff in here. I was, um, you know, thinking about things that um, I appreciate about uh, simple sayings that remind me of massive truths. You know, like um, I was talking with the staff the other day, we were kind of bouncing around, you know, ideas of what are some of the scriptures that are kind of those scriptures that if you could just do that one scripture, everything else would kind of fall into place. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit like um, maybe, you know, in Colossians chapter three, there's all these scriptures in there that I think if you just did that, everything else would be good. Like, like for example, Colossians 3, 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if we just did that single verse, bam, that means you go to work, and you're doing it heartily as unto the Lord. You know, you can't, you know, cuss someone out at work heartily as unto the Lord. Uh, that doesn't fit that, that model. But if you're doing what you do heartily as unto the Lord, man, everything's going to be good. I love some of those simple things. In fact, Colossians got a bunch of those in, the, in chapter 3, you know. Um, set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. Man, if you're thinking heavenly uh, thoughts that, man, I'm going to heaven and, and what I do today matters about that. Um, that would change a lot of things. You know, um, I, we were also kicking around not only scriptural things, but even, uh, you know, sayings that people uh, have come up with. Like uh, St. Augustine, when he said, um, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then do whatever you want. And I remember thinking as a young kid, well, that's a, you can't do whatever you want. Well, wait a minute. If you, if, if you love God with all your heart, like, yeah, I kind of have to work through that, but it's actually kind of true. If you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then do whatever you want, because your wants will be in line with loving God. And it's kind of a simple but profound singular statement that if you could just do that. I think the reason why I'm drawn to those things is because, um, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm not such a bright person. And I get overwhelmed with all the do's and the don'ts of the Bible, you know, because when you read the Bible, you realize, wow, oh. I got so much to work on, and I, and I fall so short. And you can find yourself a little bit overwhelmed with um, things that the Bible teaches, and you can almost, it's almost like you just want to give up. and think, man, I'm never going to get all this stuff down. I'm so far from all this, you know, but, but I love the simple things. Now, now, what I've also observed is when we are critical of ourselves, or even to each other, we also um, wrongly make these broad brushstrokes. Um, and uh, it's amazing how it just sort of chalks off large chunks of the population. Um, male privilege. There's one that you guys should feel ashamed about, that you were born men. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I mean, I, it's never really bothered me that much, but it, it, it sort of amuses me in that, man, I can't help that I was born a man, and I'm sorry if we've given men privilege throughout history, um, but most of us guys, we're just trying to survive. <laughs> it's not like, you know, and I understand, I understand, you know, um, the, the arguments, and I, and I get it. You know, if you're a man walking downtown Portland at uh, 11 o'clock at night, you're probably not nervous walking around town. Uh, but, you know, if you're a woman, I understand there's a different vibe there. And, 
Um, but I also see things, you know, there, 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 there's things that kind of come out in the wash, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, is, does all of the male population in the whole world get chalked off because we've been given male privilege? Or, you know, and, and you kind of think, man, oh, the negative things are, are also kind of all-encompassing. And, and that's why you kind of think, well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do about that? And that's just one example. There's, there's a lot of examples of things we could talk about, about what people are yelling at each other about today and angry about and all that stuff. But that's why I get back to the word and what are the simple things that we've been told that what we, what we could really um, get to? You see, it's interesting because God sort of goes through what I believe is kind of these, what, what, what as a dispensationalist, um, dispensations of time. And, and by the way, if you're not a dispensationalist, it's funny because the Bible talks about how the Lord comes in the dispensation of times. And there's, there's seasons. And you have to admit there are seasons. Like, for example, are we still under the Jewish law of the Old Testament? No, we're not under that law. Galatians tells us that. Um, and uh, thank the Lord for that. Because most of us wouldn't be alive today if they were keeping the law when you were a kid. Because if you were disobedient to your parents, the law said, take that child outside of the city and stone them to death. Most of us wouldn't have survived that if, if we were going to keep the, the law to the nth degree. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm so thankful. And by the way, that's 613 laws that the Jews were told during that dispensation of time to keep. And the Jews were the best foot forward, man. They were, they were a group of people who said, let's keep the law. Let's do this. We can do this. But man, if you read the Old Testament over and over and over again, they failed and fell short. Um, and no one could keep the law. 613 laws of the Old Testament. Um, by the way, 248 things that you have to do in the law and 600, uh, 365 things that you are not supposed to do, um, as it turns out. So the 600, or 365 no's don't do that, and uh, 248 things to do. Um, now, by the way, I, I, I love bragging about, I, I've got some of those laws down, like for example, um, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 19. Man, I, I've, I've kept that law my whole life. There's certain things I can boast. What's, what's Leviticus uh, 11, 19? We're told that we're not supposed to eat bats. <laughs> I'm living victoriously <laughs> in that particular law of the Old Testament. Um, but, but here's the funny thing. Uh, you know, you, you, you laugh at that because you realize, well, that's not a big temptation, especially for us here in the Pacific Northwest. Now, if you're Tad Slaughter living in Vanuatu, they eat bats all the time there. Those big flying foxes, you know, when you're in, in Vanuatu, um, these bats, they soar over your head, like a five-foot wingspan, these bats that uh, just, just soar. You can, they sound like a kite, you know. <laughs> their little rubbery wings flapping in the wind. Um, but what they do, I was there once when, uh, when a guy named Samuel, uh, he was this Nivanuatu guy, he says, Brett, you want to see how we get the bats, you know? And I said, sure. And so he grabs this stick. They have this ironwood stuff that's real heavy wood. And he found a stick that was about a foot long. He grabbed it. And there was a bunch of those bats just kind of hanging upside down in the tree, the big ones, the flying fox. They look like a fox with bat wings. And so Samuel, who I found as, by the way, uh, he's like the, the most amazing dude I've ever known. Like, like just physically, he's he just amazing. We, we went diving in the, in the ocean, spearfishing, and I'd go down, you know, 10, 12 feet, you know, and, and wait around there for like 30 seconds and pop back up. He would go down like 30 feet and just sit down there for like two minutes with a spear, just wait. 
and then get the, get the fish and then come out. Like he could be down there, for, I think he was down there for like three minutes um, just waiting for the fish, that was him. But he also took this stick and just went through the stick, hit the bat, bat hit the ground. And he stuck a stick through it and roasted it like a hot dog. Um, like, like, and he ate it, I didn't eat it, but, but he ate it. Um, uh, and uh, I can say I live victoriously, but here's the problem. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. See, this is where, you know, there's still people today that want to be removed from grace and try to be legalistic. So you need to keep these laws. And by the way, you moms and dads that use the tattoo argument from Leviticus 19, kids, you shouldn't get tattoos because the Bible says thou shalt not mark up your, you know, skin or... But it also says in the same breath, you're also not supposed to cut the corners of your beard. So if you're wearing a goatee right now, you're a sitter. <laughs> Satan has a goatee. I just made that up. That's just the, <laughs> that's, that's just the cartoon. Uh, but it's funny, like, like the, the point that I'm making is those laws, we're not under those laws. So if you're using the Bible as your argument of why a kid shouldn't get a tattoo, uh, that's a bad argument because if you're going to, you try to keep one point of the law, you better keep the whole enchilada and good luck with that. You have to stop eating bats and, and stop shaving the corners of your beard and also stone your kids if they're disobedient outside of the city. So praise the Lord, we're no longer under those 613 laws of the Old Testament, that dispensation of time. And see, the Jews, as you study their history, they were overwhelmed with those laws. And, and you say, Brett, what was the point? Well, that was the point. The point was that the Jews had to learn, and, and really as sort of the, the litmus test for all of humanity, that the Jews wouldn't be able to do it, nor then could you or I. The Jews were, like I said, the best foot forward on that. And so that should have shut down that dispensation of time. Now, now the law is good. Why? Galatians says we're no longer under the law, but the law is our schoolmaster that drives us where? Anybody? Jesus, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, Jesus is the one uh, that he, you know, the law says, man, you guys, you guys need to go to Jesus. Why? Because nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What, you know, what can uh, take away our sins? It's the blood of Christ. Um, and that's what the law was meant to do, to be the schoolmaster, to drive you to your, your, your need, to know your need, what it is that, that you and I need, and that is forgiveness of our sins, because none of us can keep the law. None of us are good enough. Well, the Jews, during that dispensation, when they were under the laws, they, they got frustrated and even a bit angry with God. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's interesting because the point is God loved them even through their failures, even through their problems. And that's really what Micah, uh, this chapter, is going to deal with. Let's, let's look at Micah chapter 6. And I want to show you um, what happens uh, here in this little section. Micah chapter 6. It says in verse 1, now this is God's loving questions. I'm going to break this little section into three sections. Number one, God's loving questions are verses 1 through 5. It says this, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Now, by the way, the idioms of the prophets, uh, uh, the mountains speak of the nations. Remember Daniel chapter 2. 
um, uh, verse 35 around there somewhere where the Lord speaks of all the nations of the world and how the kingdom of God is going to be this mountain. Uh, that, that's, the mountains sometimes refer to the nations, and that's probably what verse 1 is referring to. The, the mountains and the hills will stand and hear before the voice of the Lord. Verse 2, Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. So here's the Lord pleading with Israel. Something's up. There's a controversy. What is it? Verse 3, O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of, of, of servants, you were slaves, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Verses 1 through 5 is the Lord's loving questions. The question is, what's up with you guys? Why are you mad at me? What have I done? I have redeemed you from slavery. I, I delivered you from those Egyptians. I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. It's interesting, by the way, that Miriam gets listed among those leaders in this particular passage, because if you know the story there, Miriam was a leader in Israel, but she also tried to usurp authority over Moses, and she became leprous. There's a whole side story to that, but I, I find it sort of redemptive that God here with the prophet Micah includes her. That's kind of interesting, kind of cool. But all that to say, the Lord said, testify against me. What's your problem? Why are you mad at me, the Lord's saying? And now, well, we, we first see that verse five verses of the Lord's loving question. Now, verses six, uh, all the way uh, through seven there, we'll see the people's rebellious questions. They're gonna answer God with questions. Here we go, it says in verse six, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, the uh, high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you sense a little rebellious spirit in the people? And what are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against the law because they were supposed to use the anointing oil. They were supposed to sacrifice lambs, and they were, um, you know, talking about giving my firstborn. That's what I was talking about when the, the child that disobeys, take him outside the city. And these people are saying, what do you want us to do, God? Kill our kids for you? Do you want us to give up rivers of oil, 10,000 rivers of oil? And by the way, this is exaggeratory. And, and by the way, one thing I gotta say, um, about the take your kids out and stone them to death. President Obama referred to that scripture once. What are we going to do, follow the Bible and, you know, take our kids out and stone them to death? He said that once. Do you guys remember that when he said that? He was like saying, you know, of course we don't do what the Bible tells us to do. But that's just sad to say a short-sightedness of what the Bible actually teaches. Did God ever really require the Jews to take their children out and stone them to death? Interestingly enough, never in history do we have a record of that happening. Um, now, see, here's where sin is interesting, and we get all perturbed and upset, but the point is the wages of sin is death for all of us. Um, you know, there's, there's scriptures that talk about how if you're an adulterer, you should die. 
There's scriptures in the Old Testament that says if you're, um, you know, if you uh, are, uh, you know, abusive as a, a husband or a wife, you should die. There's scriptures that says if you're homosexual, you should die. And by the way, isn't it interesting that people love to take the scripture out of context and, you know, the, there's people in the homosexual community say, well, see, the Bible says if you're gay, you're supposed to die. But see, the, that's not the point. The point is, if you're a person with a pulse, you should die. That's the point. Everyone's listed there. You and me, gay people, uh, uh, angry people, uh, disobedient children. Like, the point is, we all deserve death. That's what the Bible says. The, the wages of sin is just death. And people get all up in a tizzy. Uh, but that's the point of the law, to show us that. The Old Testament brings us to that point. And the Jews, they, they're saying, it's too hard. And that's the point. See, the people, they're mad at God all the while, even though they didn't keep the law, even though they blew it and broke the rules of God, all the while God's saying, but hey, I redeemed you out of Egypt, even though you were sinners. I, I, I gave you leaders like Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, even though you're, uh, you, know, you, you worshiped other gods. I, I, I saved you from your enemies. Like the Lord's saying, look what I've done for you, even though you were not keeping the law. See, and I love that. What do you want us to do, God? Rivers, 10,000 rivers of oil. The people are uh, exaggerating. And that's, it's funny, the Lord never really required that of them. And yet he still loved them. See, that's the thing. What was it, quiz time, that made Abraham counted as a righteous man? What was it, anybody? He believed God, and so it was counted unto him for righteousness. Did you know that Abraham was saved the same way you are saved? In fact, Paul makes that whole point in the book of Romans. He says, the way the Old Testament guys were saved, same way you're saved. Yeah, but Brett, Jesus came, taught on the cross. We believe in Jesus, yes. But see, here's the thing. God said, I'm gonna send my Messiah who will save the world. And the Jews, whether they knew that was Jesus or not in the Old Testament, if they believed God, not believed in God, even Satan believes in God, it's the Jews that believed God, what he said, what he would do, what, he was, what his plan was, how it would all unfold. Those that believed God, it was counted unto them for righteousness. Same way you and I are saved. And praise the Lord, he's not holding us, nor did he hold the Jews to those laws because they would have all been killed and so would have we. That's the point. And so here the, the Jews are like, what are we? they're frustrated. They're saying, what are we supposed to do? 10,000 rivers of oil and billions of lambs and sacrifice, and they're, they're not happy. And the Lord then, finally in our little section here, the Lord um, gives a, a loving answer. I love how the Lord's loving through this whole thing. He, he raises a loving question. They give a rebellious question, and now the Lord is going to give loving answers. Check this out. It's verse 8. The Lord says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Um, so interesting here, we have this kind of classic verse many of you have heard, Micah 6, 8. Some of you might even have it memorized. There's an old song we used to sing that declares this. He, the Lord, has showed thee, O man, what is good and what he requires of thee. And there's three things here. To do justly, 
to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. I love this. <clears throat> so, so when the world asks, what do you want from us, God? What do you expect from us? Um, this is what they were asking the prophet Micah here in the text. He hath showed thee. Now, by the way, this is an interesting thing. Um, could the Jews say God has shown them that? They could say, well, you showed us the law, 613 laws. But you know, it's interesting because um, when it says the Lord has showed thee, that's past tense. He's already shown you what is required to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Where did God show that to them? Well, see, this is where, this is where it's kind of interesting as a human being, what God has done. Because in the new, the new Covenant, in Jeremiah 31, one of the things about the New Covenant, God would write His law on the table of men's hearts. Your heart is your thinker, part of you that knows stuff. And one of the things that you and I enjoy as a New Covenant believer, that is in the New Testament, New Covenant, no longer under the law, He writes His Word on the table of men's hearts. And I believe He was even starting to do that even in these times when He says, He's already shown you what to do. What do we do? The Lord told you what to do. Three things. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. See, that's one of those little short sayings that, you know, that's something you and I might be able to do, at least remember. We might be able to remember, oh yeah, I can't remember all 613 laws of, of the, the, you know, law of Moses, but I can remember those three things. I can do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. I can remember that. Most of you can too. I say most because I'm looking at you right now. I don't know. But anyway, I, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Remember those three things because what a great list. That's something I can work on, man. And that's one of those things. If you and I did those three things, I wonder. I wonder if we'd suddenly be right in line with where God wants us to be if we would just simply do those three things. It's one of those all-encompassing challenges and charges of God that if you're a man who does justly, that... It loves mercy, walks up. Let's break these things down just a little bit. Um, if you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Um, by the way, uh, uh, I, was, I was thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the knower that God gives you and me. We, we already know this stuff. You know, um, some people call it your conscience. God has given you a conscience. Even as the Arctic crane knows how to fly south and, and hit those islands down in the south, um, it's amazing. I was reading about, you know, if they're off by even a fraction of a degree in their flight path, they, they won't, they'll, they'll be off by hundreds of miles uh, to hit those islands that the Arctic uh, cranes go to. But they fly to the south, um, and, and they know exactly the direction to go. How is that possible? The, the Lord built that into them. He has shown them, oh, Arctic crane, how to fly south for the, for the winter. But in the same way, I think the Lord instinctively has given you and me a knower. And we know. He, he's already shown you what's, what's good. It's like when you stole that cookie from the cookie jar as a little child. Um, it's funny. You knew what you were doing was wrong. <laughs> it's um, when you committed your first theft. Um, did you take a cookie from the cookie jar, and how did you respond? <laughs> um, have you ever seen kids that know how to lie really good? It's amazing, because you don't teach that. You know, I was that kid. I, I, I think I tried to lie. My mom always knew somehow when I stole those cookies. But I was the kid that would say, you know, she said, Brett, did you steal a cookie from the cookie jar? I'd say, give me a break, come on. I don't even like cookies. 
as I've got you know cookie dough running down the side of my <laughs> my, my cheek, um, just leave me alone. You know. How do lie detectors work? Isn't it funny that we know to lie is wrong so much that the the measurements scientifically, you know, the examiner looks at a person's heart rate and blood pressure and respiratory rate, even the electrodermal activity, you know, like the, the, the sweating on your fingertips. They can, they can measure that as you're saying, no, I did not do that. And you can even look like you're doing it, but, but man, it gives us away. After the 1960s revolution, you know, of all moralistic standards of right and wrong that started to be called into question. It's an amazing thing because, um, you know, relativism, uh, even though the world is acting like there's nothing really that's sinful, isn't it amazing how in the last five minutes the world has just changed? We've changed our view. There's no such thing as male or female anymore. Did you hear yesterday about that uh, guy that went and spoke at the university and, and um, his, his, his uh, lecture was on men and women are different biologically? Did you guys see this? The guy got ran out of the school. Like they threw, some kids were freaking out, processing, there's not men and women, there's no biological difference, and they're all upset. And this one dude came and threw some substance they thought was like bleach or whatever uh, on the guy. As it turns out, it was lavender oil, uh, like some essential oil or something, um, (laughs) which I'd rather have bleach, I think. But um, no, I'm just, sorry, that's bad, sorry. Um, So, this guy gets run out of the school because he's arguing. This is just, this was on the news yesterday that he, that he was saying there's men and women, and men and women are different, uh, especially biologically. That was his argument. Um, uh, by the way, he, I, I listened to him, and, and I was, I was it's, it's funny because he got run out of the school, but now the whole nation sort of heard his rap. And his, I don't remember the guy's name. You'll have to look it up. But Michael Knowles, thank you. He, he made an argument that, you know, it's actually pretty good. By by saying there's no genders, what they're doing essentially is canceling women. Like it's a, it's an, he makes this argument that if there's no such difference between men and women, then there are no women. And there should be no women's sports, there should be no women's uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, groups. Like, like it's a logical argument. Because it's logical, I'm sure everybody's gonna reject it. Um, uh, I'll mispronounce this. Some of you, you Russian guys, you're going to have to help me with this. But Fyodor uh, Dostoevsky, the Russian Christian novelist, said, if there's no God, then all things are permissible. German philosopher Immanuel Kant wrote that even though we cannot know anything for certain about God, we must live as if there is a God. Otherwise, there can be no standards of morality. Kant's, you know, pretend morality um, has fallen apart, and Dostoevsky's prediction has come true. That's really what we believe now. There's no such thing as right or wrong, and all things are permissible. That's where our culture is. So, and you know, today's climate of moral relativism, people believe it's right to follow your own inclinations. Um, But, so this, this herd immorality, uh, is what we're seeing. And here's the bummer. Too many times the Christians follow that crowd of secular immorality. That's, that's the bummer that I see. The church jumps on board with uh, the world saying, well, there's no such thing as right or wrong, so we're going to jump on board. But, but the reason that's important to, to think about before we dive into this is because that moral relativism doesn't fit 
with what the Bible teaches. And what are you and I called to do? We're called, well, the simple challenge, to do justly. That means there's just and there's unjust. There's right and there's wrong. We are to do right. We are to do what is just. To do justly, number one, that's the first thing we kind of meditate. Not just to think justly, but to do justly. It's funny how you and I, as, 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 a, as a man on this earth, it's funny how we kind of convince ourselves that we're doing justly just because we're thinking justly. It's almost like uh, I, I realized when I was a younger man, just because I was taking the notes, sitting in church, didn't mean I was doing what the Bible taught me to do. It's almost like you convince yourself, I'm writing the notes, Brad, I'm reading the Bible, I'm hearing a Bible study, I'm doing what the Bible says. But that's not necessarily true. I realize I can write all the notes till my hand falls off. But that doesn't mean I'm doing what the word says. And in the same way, we can talk about what's just. We can complain about what's unjust. But I love here the simplicity of this, not to think justly, but to do justly. Um, That's what we're called to do. Um, uh, What's fair, what's equitable, do the right thing. That's what we're called to do. You know, I think Jesus modeled that um, with the woman caught in adultery. And I love it because the just thing was what Jesus did. They wanted to stone her to death, keeping the law of Moses. But, you know, they were, their, their argument of the law was so full of holes. Um, you know, those guys, they were all guilty themselves of adultery, I'm, I can guarantee it. And there they throw this woman down in front of you. This woman was caught in the very act. And, and if that were true, where was the man? Where was the man if, if they caught the guy in the very act? Why didn't they drag the woman? That, that's inequitable. That's what they did in those days. And Jesus saw right through their stupid argument. And that's why he said, those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone and started right, katagraphane, right against. That's what that Greek word means. He started right in the sand. And I'm pretty sure that what he was writing, we don't know, but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with those dudes with the rocks in their hands because one by one from the oldest to youngest. Why from the oldest to youngest? Wisdom to stupidity. No. No. Oldest to youngest. I think Jesus started with the oldest and said, Motel 6, you know, um, Judea, June 21st. Like, and that the oldest guy, what? How did he know? Well, well he dro- I think I heard my wife calling, dropped the rock, and he left. Next little guy, you know. <laughs> some little event or something. One by one, they started to drop the rocks and leave. And then Jesus said to that woman, where's those guys that are, you know, accusing you and condemning you? And she says, no one. And, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. That was justice right there. He did justly. He did the right thing. That which was equitable, that which was fair. That's what men, that's what men like us should be doing. See, the, the point that I'm making is, on, back, back to, not that the whole thing I'm talking about is male privilege, but that's just one little example. Everybody accuses us of male privilege. Could be true. We could argue that, whatever. Um, but here's the thing. If you're a man who's doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly, then um, nobody's going to really be able to accuse you of bad behavior that might include male privilege. Forget the big argument that's confusing and that nobody can figure out. Just do that justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. I love this. This is the challenge for you and for me. You know, um, it's interesting because um, um, doing the right thing. 
I wonder, you know, if we stood for that and actually really believed in what's right. I, I'm amazed at how wishy-washy we've become on this area of just, you know, being just. Um, a UCL, UCLA professor posted this question uh, to his med- medical ethics class. How would you advise the following patient concerning pregnancy um, and maybe the possibility of an abortion? The father has syphilis. The mother has tuberculosis. Their first child was born blind. Their second child died at childbirth. The third child was born deaf. The fourth child contracted tuberculosis. Now the mother's pregnant again. 70% of the students said, abort the child. And the prof then went in front of the class and said, congratulations, you just aborted Beethoven, for that was his family history. Interesting, you know, how this medical ethics class was given this question, but you know, they were talking about what the likelihood or of, of the, the next child being somehow disir- severely disabled, and they were trying to, but the right thing is to never abort the child to begin with. And, and, and who knows what God is gonna do with that next child. And, and, and it's funny how we think, you know, ethical questions. We wrestle with those ethical questions, but, but that's the thing that we Christian men should be doing is doing justly, that, that which is right. Um, now, now, here's the thing, by the way, a little other side of the coin moment. Yeah, justice, Brett. That's what we need. We need justice. Be careful with that one. Doing justly and demanding justice are two different things. Um, you know, if we get this down, we start risking being self-righteous. Um, and so, you know, because we're doing justly, then justice must prevail. You know, we cry, justice. Watch out for that one. I'll tell you why. Because remember, if it were justice we'd all be dead. That's back to the, the, the wages of sin. So just do justly and, and be careful about this demanding for justice because thank the Lord he doesn't. That, that brings us to the second one, not just to do justly, but number two, to love mercy. See, that's the thing. When we demand justice in this world, um, is, can you demand justice and love mercy at the same time? Um, there was a guy uh, there's a story uh, that I've heard, whether it's true or not, I, I haven't been able to confirm it, but the story is told, at least, of Alexander the Great, who um, uh, had a soldier brought up to him who had been uh, neglectful in his duties, in guard duty, and he, and he failed. And normally, Alexander would kill that guy. That would be his normal thing, death sentence to the soldier that was derelict in his duties. Um, and it turned out that this soldier's name was Alexander, <laughs> um, which is funny. So Alexander's like, you, you carry my name and you're giving my name a bad name. And he says, I'm going to kill you. Well, as it turns out, the mother of the soldier somehow heard and got to Alexander and pled for mercy. And he says, I'm not allowing this man that carries my name to, uh, to get away with this. He's going to die. And, um, and, why, and I forget exactly what he said, but it was basically, um, uh, why should I show mercy to him? And the mom pled and said, it wouldn't be mercy if, if you weren't showing mercy. In other words, she, she pled for mercy's sake. Remember that phrase we used to say? Well, for mercy's sake. At least your mom used to say that, or dad. Um, well, that's what she was arguing. It's, it wouldn't be mercy if he hadn't done something wrong and then you let him go. And because of the pleading of the mother for mercy, Alexander let the guy go and had mercy on him. And, you know, that's the thing. You and I, we can be demanding justice, but man, we gotta be, no, we gotta be pleading for mercy. 
Um, and praise be to the Lord, his mercy endureth how long? Forever. Um, and because his mercy endures forever. Can I remind you of the scripture we went over just, just last week in Psalm 103? Listen to this. is God's heart. I'll read it again. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Do you remember that? That's what we covered last, last week, the Lord's mercy, or maybe two weeks ago. Uh, the mercy of the Lord, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. Um, this is the Lord, he's merciful. In, um, in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, um, I'll just read it to you real quick. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, um, it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, um, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet without with all, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, the same way you are merciful to other people, are, uh, then the Lord's gonna be merciful to you. That's an important part of this idea of mercy. You know, I found that as men, that's one of our maybe ugly things that people get mad at us men about. Maybe why some people hate male privileges. Sometimes we can be a little bit harsh and not merciful. We're logical, and so we demand rightness. And there is a place for that, don't get me wrong, and I, I do appreciate that about the male population. Um, uh, you know, but where uh, we men complain about perhaps women being overly sensitive, we have our, we have our problems too. We, everybody's got problems. And while we may be logical, oftentimes we can be harsh. And rather than being merciful, we end up being sort of brutal. And that's not the way of God. That's not what God does to you and me. And thank the Lord for that. Think about how you would be treated if, if God treated you the same way, for example, you treat your wife. Because some of you guys, if you're wired like a lot of guys, as soon as your wife makes a mistake, man, you're quick to jump on that, like flies on manure, man. I saw that, you did that wrong. You parked the car wrong, what do you think you're doing? You know, you didn't park the car close enough and because of that, you're too close to the garage door. Like dumb stuff, stuff that we get all hung up on because of logic. And because of that, we're not merciful. Oh, I'm so thankful the Lord's like, not like us because his mercy endures forever. Love mercy, not just act out on mercy, love it. Man, I love, that. wouldn't it be great if you and I could all say, I love being merciful. Could you say that? Man, I just love being merciful. Or, or would you have to say that and then blush a little bit and go, boy, I'm not really that when I think about the way I treat my kids, the way I treat my wife, the way you treat your employees. Like, are you a merciful person? Because the measure that you meted out is the measure you're going to get it, according to Luke 6.38. So the Lord's already shown you this. He's given you a thinker, a knower, a conscience. And that knower tells you, you and I, you already know this, to do justly and love mercy. Some of you have gotten so good at being anti-mercy and critical and judgmental and, and even facetious, sarcastic because of wrongdoing, 
that you don't even realize you're doing it. Um, here's what, if, you, if you're wondering, here's what you do. Take your wife out to a nice dinner and then just say, honey, do I need to be, would it be better if I was more merciful to you? And see what she says. She may not even know what to say. She might be afraid to tell you the truth. Oh, you're, you're, you're merciful. <laughs> Run for cover. Uh, or would she just kind of laugh? Are you kidding? Like maybe some of you guys are like, I don't need to ask that question. I know exactly what she'll say. But if you're not sure, you might want to ask, honey, am I, am I merciful to the children? Am I merciful to you? And, and then really be ready for an answer that, that, that you say, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna change my behavior. If she, if she says I'm not as merciful as I should be, then your life goal needs to do, love just, do justly and love mercy. Fall in love with mercy. That's your new best friend. Just look for opportunities to be merciful. That means not giving a person what they deserve. Well, Brett, she parked the car wrong in the garage. Big deal. It's funny how we, we get all up in a tizzy about stuff that just doesn't matter. Well, Brett, she took the wrong way to Fred Meyer. It takes five more minutes on, on Martin Azzi than it does to go on to Alton Sherwood. Who cares? Love mercy. Um, that means to just be merciful. Um, and it's really hard for us as guys sometimes. Something for us to really think about, something for us to pray about. If you're a younger man and you're still nice, Um, stick with that, man. Don't lose the merciful part of you. There's something about the older we get, the more cynical we become. And uh, we, we become crotchety and, and, and grouchy. That's just, the, I think, the way of, of humanity. But man, don't be that guy. Be a guy who loves mercy from a young age and keep going with that, you young guys. Don't lose it. Love mercy. Be merciful. Um, so do justly, number one, love mercy, and then thirdly, walk humbly. If you're doing justly, and you're good at that, and you're loving mercy, and, and, and you, you're good at that, boy, then you really need to walk humbly. Because if you're doing the first two, you might start thinking, you know, I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm so good to my wife. Some of you guys are probably thinking that, and you're probably the one that needs to hear this more than anybody. But but you're like, yeah, I got those first two down. I love mercy. I do justly. But now it's time to walk humbly. See, this is why this, this, this little trio of admonitions of what God's already shown us, we already know that to do this stuff. But the reason the Lord has to tell us again is because we forget to do the stuff we already know. Um, and, and, and man, if we could just put on the hum humble part at the end, man, then you've got the package deal. If you've got the first two with an arrogant, prideful man, it all just looks ugly anyway. But when you put humility around justly and mercy, then you've got a, a man that starts to look kind of like Jesus. You know, not thinking more highly of ourselves. You know, the Bible has so much to say about pride, um, but on some of the specifics I like, you know, um, Proverbs chapter three, verse 34 comes to mind. It says, surely he, he scorneth the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly. The person, the man that's a lowly in heart kind of guy, and that speaks of kind of humility. Of course, pride goeth before destruction, 
a haughty spirit before a fall. The Proverbs has all things to talk about pride, but this one kind of talks about how the Lord gives grace to the person who's a lowly person. And, and that's part of being humble. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So to humble yourself means to put yourself in a place of being lowly. Jesus said this autobiographically about himself. It's the only thing he said about his character. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's what Jesus said of himself, lowliness. Not to think more highly of ourselves, but to think lowly and put ourselves in a place of lowliness. Not, not to, you know, beat yourself up or false humility, but to, to truly just be humble. And it's not hard if you just remember your own faults and failures. It's, it's funny how as a man, you can almost forget your failures. Um, what is a failure? Think about this for a second. What's a failure? that is in your life, that when people bring it up, it puts you right back down to lowliness. Do you have a, a thing in your life that you've done that? And again, you young guys might not have this yet. You will. Where that dumb decision you made or that sin that you committed, that if someone brings it up, that sin that you did, or if anybody were to find out about that sin that you committed, it would just put you right back down to depressed and like, oh man, I failed, I'm a loser. Isn't it funny? You can almost forget your own sin to where you're thinking, I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> and then somebody brings that up and you're like, oh, wait, never mind. I'm a lowly, miserable sinner. Um, it's good for us to remember that we fall short and that we're sinners and to be humble about that. So that when you're tempted to think about your wife parking the car wrong in the garage, the reason I'm using that one, I don't have a garage. Uh, so I don't have to... Uh, anymore. Uh, I don't have to, uh, you know, give my wife a hard time about how she's parking the car. But what a stupid thing. I'm just giving you examples because most of the things you and I get upset about our, our wives or our children, a lot of those things don't even matter. But if you're in the middle of that and all of a sudden you think of yourself in that embarrassing sin or that embarrassing mistake that you made, and then you're like, oh, maybe I should just shut my mouth. I don't have anything to say. But if you're loving mercy and you know, doing justly and walking humbly, man, you're going to be gentle with your wife, gentle with your kids. You're going to be remembering your own faults and failures, and you're going to be the man that God wants you to be. You and I, man, we got our work cut out for us just with these three things. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Another scripture about the humble thing that's so cool um, is what James tells us in James 4, 6. Do you want God to resist you? Resist. That, that word is kind of taking on a new meaning right now. Have you noticed that? Remember when Obama said, oh, resist? And, um, and now that, that whole side is resisting. And, and I think that's why we're seeing such you know, chaos in the world of politics is there's just a huge resistance. Um, if Kavanaugh's the person for the Supreme Court, resist, resist, resist. And they're doing exactly that. And, and I think, wow, that's what resistance kind of looks like here in America today. But did you know there's a place where God actually says, I'm gonna resist against you? Boy, think about that for a second. What does that look like as a man, God resisting you? Well, it looks like what James 4 says. It says, and kind of, you know, bouncing from the Proverbs scripture that I gave you, James 4, 6, but the Lord gives grace, more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
What does God do? He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, what's interesting about this is it's not just James that says this, but it's also Peter. Two separate guys in the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the same things. Um, 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. It says, um, you younger people submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you subject yourselves one to another. Be clothed with humility for, listen, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Same words as James. And then he goes on and says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Forget about exalting yourself or making yourself look like the big shot that knows how to park the car in the garage. Forget about that. The Lord will exalt you in due time if you're humbling yourselves in the sight of the Lord. God resists the proud and gives grace um, to the humble. You know, it's interesting because um, I, love, I love this little trilogy, but as many of you guys know, it's not just boiling down from the 613 commandments to these three commandments. It, it does do that, but you know where that often goes. Matthew 22, Jesus boils it down even further still. But I can't remember those three things. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. It's too complicated. Well, check out what Jesus says. Jesus said unto them, when they asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. Um, and this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Man, love. By the way, uh, the Gospel of Matthew says this, and then later John the Apostle would say it all in one word. It's just love, love. So if you can't remember do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, then, then even still just love. Love is the overarching key. And I believe a person who's truly enacting love, they're gonna be doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. Boiling it down to simplicity for you and for me. Here's the thing I, I think about this when, when we kick these ideas around is I think that there is sort of, whether we want to admit it or not, you know, this, this, this male privilege argument that we were talking about, I don't know if I want to get all into that fray, but the truth is whenever men have acted badly, it's because of sin. And instead of being defensive, hey, there's no such thing as male privilege. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know white male privilege, racial issues. You know, we, we get into all the, the, the uh, brutal topics, but, but put all those co confusing topics that most of us don't get anyway and, and put it back to this do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, then I think we got the problem solved. If, if, we'll just, just do it. The Lord already has shown us what to do. You know, it's interesting how in counseling situations, I've found that most people already know what to do. Being a Christian counselor is usually much easier um, than most people probably think. I'm saying usually because of course from time to time there's things that you just kind of go, man, I don't, this is outside of my wheelhouse, of course. But most of the time when, when, when people come into my office and want, want counsel, I, I'm always amazed that they already know what to do. I'll even ask them and let them come up with a solution because they already know it. Brett, should I divorce my wife? Well, what do you think God wants you to do? Well, 
See, the reason they're talking to me is they're hoping that I have some biblical loophole that I can give them. Yeah, the Lord wants you to dump her because first Babylonian says, They're looking for that. People look for that. They want the loophole and they're coming to me about it. And, you know, and I'm like, you already know what to do here. It's really easy. Try that sometime. Say, Should I beat my wife? Of course not. Like people, people, they know what to do and yet they're just not willing to do it. So sometimes, I love, I love how my dad used to counsel people. He still does, I think. But um, um, he didn't get all into the psychoanalysis. Are you a red or a purple or a green? Let's take a personality test. Uh, let's do all this. He didn't do that stuff. Um, uh, the funny thing about my dad is, is uh, he knows about all that stuff. Um, when he was working for the county, uh, the county offices, they went through this training thing where they made everybody go through, um, you know, these verse, various uh, temperaments and how you're supposed to work together and interact. And my dad says, I don't need that. Um, and, you know, he was like the chief building inspector, and they're like, you know, you need to do all this diversity training. I was like, no, I don't need that. Um, and they, they pressed him, and they said, well, you don't know this stuff. He says, I, and he started talking about, the, um, you know, the various temperaments and personalities, and he, he already knew all the stuff in, in those tests and stuff because he's just kind of you know, one of those guys that kind of knows stuff. And he knew more, like, than the people that were giving the tests. And finally, like, yeah, I guess you don't need this. Uh, go ahead. And then they let him not take those uh, tests, which I thought was kind of funny. But here's the thing, he never used that stuff. What he would do is just stuff, you know, like if guys would come up, Brett, I'm, or dad, you know, my dad, he'd, he'd go, Todd, I'd want you, I want to know what I should do about this situation. And I remember counsel like this, did you go to la- church last Sunday? And the guy, well, no, I was busy coaching baseball. Goes, okay, I'm not going to talk to you then. <laughs> and they're like, no, Todd, we really want to hear from your wisdom. You know, you, you no, you just heard, I, I'm not... Go to church, and I'll talk to you after that. See, and then, and then uh, the funny thing is, the guy would go to church, and, and, and inevitably, like, I, it's like my dad had something with the Lord, because inevitably that guy would stumble into church the next Sunday, and the sermon would be exactly what the question was the guy was asking. Um, you know, the sermon was that, 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 that point. And, and um, you know, and then also, I remember him doing the same thing. Did you go to church? Well, yeah. Did you hear what the preacher was talking about? And, and see, the thing is, my dad knew what the preacher was talking about. Did you go to church? Well, yeah. Just do that. You already know what to do. Like, like that's really, most of the time, you and I as men, we just know what to do. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. The problem is, we just don't want to do it. It's true with everything. I've lost 100 pounds several times in my life. I know how to lose weight. People go, oh, Pastor Brett, you know, I'm, I'm on this new fad diet, and it's this and this. I'm like, I know all those things. Atkins, I know it all. I've done it all. Uh, I've lost weight. I know how to lose weight. I know how to do it healthily. I know how to do it unhealthily. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't. That's the funny thing. See, it's a matter of, do you just want to do it or not? And, and, and you know, people, I, I want to, you know, I, I know what I'll do. I'll get that, that infomercial that shows those little electrodes that you stick on your abs. That'll help me lose, you know, a couple hundred pounds. Bzz, bzz. Remember, remember that fad of the shockers on the ab thing? And uh, everybody thought they could get ripped. And, man, you don't even have to go to the gym. That's what, that's what Christians are. Man, how do I break off this stupid sin in my life? 
They want the little electrode version that's not gonna work. And you already know what to do. If you want a, a six pack of abs, you need to you know, eat like a bird and go work out in the gym uh, five hours a day and you might have a six pack. Good luck with that. I've been working on this one pack for a long time. You know, the thing is, you know what to do. We all know what to do with our spiritual walk in our life. The question is, do you want it? Do you even want it? Do you even care about it? And that's the thing. You know, when we're talking about life and doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly, that's important. That's more important than your abs. It's more important than all that other stuff. Man, that's what you and I as men should make our life goal. Those are like this simple little sentence. This is what the Lord has shown us. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Just do that and then check with me later. And I'll show you your, your walk, your life will be so much better if you're just walking as a man that does that. You know, you might say, Brett, this is one of those things. You're right. But man, my spirit is willing right now, but my flesh is weak. That's what the Bible teaches, and it's true. Wouldn't you agree? The spirit is willing. Man, you guys, we're all here going, yeah, Brad, I need to do that. I want to do that. But the flesh is weak. What, what's the solution to that problem? Well, the answer is to ask the Lord for help. Because not only has he shown you how to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, but I believe it's the Lord who will give you the strength and the power to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. It's the Lord who will give you the strength to do that. You got to tap into that strength. You gotta ask him for help with that. And before we go today, I'd like to just take a few minutes where if you guys would break up into small groups of three or four, I'll have you stand up here in a second. We'll break up into small groups of three or four. And if you're freaked out by praying in public, don't worry, nobody's gonna make you pray. But I would like to ask uh, for a couple of you guys to just, let's just pray this stuff in. Let's, in small groups, let's, let's circle up and let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's just ask the Lord to give us strength um, because that's where our, our power comes. And then, and then not just let the erasers come over our heads when we walk out of this, this, this room. The goal, here, here's your goal. Here's your goal. Before the end of this day, for you married guys, I want your wife to say, what happened to you today? Because you're doing justly, you're loving mercy, you're walking humbly so much today that your wife's like, what did Brett do to you at church today? Why are you acting like this? Like some of your wives might even be uncomfortable with it for a while. Um, if you're not married, man, try to make you know, somebody you know go, what's wrong with you? Like, like to be a visible difference, not just for acting or any of that, but for literally saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a few steps forward on this doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actively pursue to be that man and be doers of the word. That's a tough call, but the Lord can give you strength. So let's do that. Let's all stand together.